Eufy is sponsoring today's video. They reached out to me. I tested out their video lock. It is a game changer. I'm going to paint a picture for you for why I'm so excited to work with them. So you're getting home. Your arms are loaded with groceries or packages or boxes or everything. And your keys are in your pocket. This drives me nuts. This happens all the time. I upgraded to the Eufy video lock. Fingerprint tap i'm inside and honestly i also feel way safer it's got this awesome built-in camera so whether it's a package delivery or late night uber order i see exactly who's there right from my phone there are no more mystery knocks and the best part this thing was such a breeze to set up there's no wires there's no drilling uh, there's also no monthly subscription fees so if you are done fumbling with your keys because i definitely am search for eufy video lock or head over to eufyofficial.com slash video lock your front door, your sanity. The only podcast you need for your business. Let's do this. Welcome to the Sales versus Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Scott. Join me as we explore and demystify the latest trends, technologies, and strategies used to achieve massive growth and 10x businesses. I'll be sitting down with sales, marketing, and business leaders to dissect what's worked for them, dispel myths, and deliver actionable insights that you can use to ensure repeatable, sustainable, and predictable revenue in your business. Welcome back to Sales versus Marketing. I'm sitting down with VP of Sales for RSA Security, Sean Cruz. Uh, RSA Security, if you don't know who they are, they are a cybersecurity market leader. They are at the forefront of cybersecurity technology, and they help businesses go through their digital transformations safely and securely. Uh, they are a network security company with a focus on encryption and encryption standards. And a couple fun facts, uh, they were actually acquired in uh, 2006. Uh, they were founded in 1982, but they were acquired in 2006 by EMC for $2.1 billion. And as we all know, EMC was later acquired by Dell. Um, so RSA is a subsidiary of Dell, uh, obviously a name that we all know and a very, very large company. RSA exclusively has over 3,000 employees. Um, very excited to be sitting down with Sean as he is their VP of sales. Uh, I'm going to let Sean uh, give you a little bit of background about what he's done, uh, but to list off the companies that he's worked for, uh, starting off with Corel, going through to QNX, uh, NetManage, uh, Adobe, uh, Tipco, and then most recently RSA. Sean has over 30 years of sales experience, so I'm sure he will give us a, a lot of great insight and knowledge. Uh, but looking forward to looking forward to the session. Sure. So uh, my name is Sean Cruz. I'm the vice president of sales for RSA Canada. We are a major division of the Dell EMC family focused on digital risk management. So we we as an organization, you may be familiar with what's called tokens, RSA tokens, encryption. So we're you know, we're a, a, a historical leader in the encryption space, particularly around identities. That's where our company was born. That's our heritage. Over the last 25, 30 odd years, we've we've developed a very broad suite of technology offerings focused on digital risk management. And if you you know if you if you take a step back, um, you know what is digital risk management? Well, it's 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 a a broad series of things. If you think of the the world going through major digital transformation where 
businesses are transforming user experience, mobile apps. They're, they're changing the interfaces to their customers. They're, they're reorganizing workflows and processes from the edge where, where customers are being engaged, you know, applying digital marketing, all new types of things into their business, which go right back into the core of how organizations work. That's digital transformation. Digital risk management is the parallel best practice on how organizations manage risk associated with this transformation. And that can mean anything from compliance to things like GDPR, uh, health compliance, federal compliance in the financial industry, right down to things like threat detection, cybersecurity, incident response. It's a very broad suite of capabilities that we bring to the market tied to the best practice of digital risk management while you're transforming your business. It's quite, it's quite large. It's fairly new. It's new to our company and it's, you know, it's, it's new to the globe. You know, we, we started this user experience transformation five, six, seven, eight, nine years ago when mobile devices really became powerful and now transitioning and as the world kind of tips and we see more digital technology, people are starting to realize that with that, benefit comes a lot of risk and that's where we fit into the model what i find interesting is you're playing in a you're a large company but you're playing in a space where you like what you just mentioned people are still going through their digital transformation but you're selling a product that's something in like almost like a, a next layer an extra step on top of a company's digital transformation so uh just to sort of frame it for for people that are listening how does rsa properly or most effectively engage with customers when a lot of them are, are still understanding how to properly go through a digital transformation. And that could be something from like a small mom and pop all the way to, you know, Fortune 500, like Fortune 100. Sure. You know, the, the, um, it, it, it's almost a different talk track for the size of business that you're in. So, you know, when you, when you think of small to medium enterprise, you know, the reality is digital transformation means something different to local businesses that it does to large scale enterprises like banks, insurance, big public sector entities. So let's let's separate those two because I think it's important to dis have a distinction on those. Small to medium enterprise typically doesn't have massive legacy business processes. They don't have these massive you know, sets of technologies that they need to manage. You know, digital transformation could be as simple as changing my website interfaces, opening up some new channels of communication to my consumers, whether that be online or different types. In, in, you know, in that context, you know, there's, a, there's a risk associated with you know, people you know, piggybacking on you know, mobile users that are coming onto your sites. There's all kinds of different things that are um, unique about a small to medium enterprise from a risk standpoint. Mm -hmm. they're, they're really facing different challenges. So phishing attacks, uh, you know, mobile users, you know, a, a whole suite of other kind of what I would call risks. Typically, the small to medium enterprise may not also have as much uh, public sector policy or compliance issues as, as perhaps some of the larger industries. So they need to think about things like general data protection or privacy in, in different ways. When you, when you compare that to, say, manufacturing, uh, public sector, big banks and insurance companies, they've got massive armies of people 
huge infrastructures of data. They've got dozens and dozens of ways that people can interact with them. The threat landscape for a large enterprise is much different than a smaller one. So, you know, local stores that are, you know, changing their online presence don't have the same level of risk from a threat standpoint as the larger landscape of, say, a big enterprise. So it's it's quite a bit different. And what we provide is the ability to look at your digital transformation as a maturity model. Think of it as some businesses are only um, are, are only you know four years old, and other businesses are twenty years old, and the requirements of those two are quite different. So when you look at the maturity of your digital footprint, what are your risks? So first, being able to identify perhaps what are the risks associated with how you're using digital technologies, and then be able to figure out what types of solutions would apply. That would be a best practice for say a small to medium enterprise. When you compare that to a large scale bank or insurance company, public sector agency, crown corporation, it's way different. You know, the as I said, the the amount of ways people can communicate with those with those entities, the amount of data that they're collecting, the amount of people that are involved, because there's different types of threats. So when you when you look at that, the, the, the methodology that you would apply would be quite different. It would be much larger. You need to really isolate each element of your business and look underneath to figure out kind of what are my risk touch points here. And, and ideally, you know, which is which is the opportunity, is that you're rolling risk management at the same time you're completing transformation. If you're dealing with new mobile applications, we'll apply the thought process right there and build it in so it's designed in versus what has happened over the last five to 10 years, which is we put some stuff out and we think about risk or security afterwards. It's a way different conversation and talk track. And how do you, as a, a so you're, you're VP of sales or area VP of sales, uh, what is, First of all, what is your role within the company and how do you properly um, in your role? Because obviously you have a, a, a rather large team, I'm assuming, that would sell underneath you. How do you properly uh, manage that level of or that, that variance of different type of customer sets amongst your team? Well, you know, it's interesting. And, you know, any any sales rep, um, you know, there's different types of sales roles in our organization. You know, any large territory or large organization would typically have, you know, what are called, you know, focused account managers or named account managers, you'll have territory managers, you likely have product specialists that are tied to specific technology. Anytime you're in the level of complexity of technology like the RSA offering, you're going to have multiple roles involved in customer engagements. You know, you will have field engineers and specialized engineers. It's a large team approach to selling, and each person has a different role or responsibility in that team approach. So when you when you look at an entity like Canada, typically, you know, starting from one coast and going to the other. The DNA of an account in BC is way different than the type of, of buyer in Alberta, which is different than the type of, of buyer in the central prairies, which is different than the person that you're dealing with in Toronto, likewise in Ottawa, Montreal, Quebec City. So you're, you're ideally aligning your resources to the same style of territory that they're covering. Mm -hmm. You would not typically um, have somebody flying in from Toronto to go sell into Calgary. That's not in your best interest. You know, it's just not the way things are done there. So the idea is first off, making sure that you're aligned into the region. So my responsibility is to look at the overall country, 
take our solution sets and technologies, align them into whatever territory model that makes sense, ensure that those models have the proper resources underneath them, and then apply marketing and communication strategies, selling methodologies to really do everything within the context of a sales cycle, early stage demand generation and business development, mid-range sales methodology and cycles to press um, opportunities into the close process. And then of course the fun stuff, which is contract negotiation, targeted closing and others. So as a sales leader um, in this role, it's quite complex because on any given Sunday, I can find myself doing just about anything in the organization. Yeah. And I think yeah. You know, yeah. anyone, that, anyone that is really um, functioning in this role, you know, I am a, a legal consultant, a marketing consultant, yeah. a operations consultant, a commissional commissions consultant, you know, like the idea of being effective here, if you're going to really succeed in this industry, in this role, you need to have a broad range of expertise and experience, which is you know, something I've been fortunate enough to develop over the 30 years of my career to where I am right now. It's, it's, it's fun, but it's complicated. Yeah, no, that's, um, that's really interesting. And, and just the complexity, not only of the sale, but of, the, of your role is, uh, it's definitely a lot as a sales leader to take that on and obviously execute efficiently. Um, so you mentioned like you've had 30 years of experience that have led you to be able to be successful in this role. So let's, let's go into like, like, who are, who are you? What's your, you know, what's your past? Like, how did you get to where you are today? Um, all that fun stuff. So, yeah, you know, I, uh, I don't have the luxury of a university degree and my path to where I am today is quite, um, you know, it's, it's quite unique. Uh, I would say that I, I lucked out to a certain extent into the tech sector back in, in the late 80s. I had an opportunity to uh, to go you know, at 20 years old and, and fold boxes in the shipping room of a startup uh, at the time called Corel Corporation, which is the, <laughs> the, the early graphics yeah. technology provider for those that, you know, that, that know the company. You know, Corel Draw back in back in the early '90s was it from a graphics package standpoint. That's going back, and they're not such a startup anymore. So. <laughs> no, no, they're not. So you know, I, I had a, I spent a couple of years there, and, and uh, you know, really learned the kind of the back end. At that time, technology was delivered in manuals. Technology was delivered on on disks, and and putting a package together required you know somebody to put you know five and a quarter, three and a half floppies with some books and shrink wrap <laughs> yeah. it and put a label on it and send it to somebody. And, you know, I, in learning that part of the business, when uh, when I left Corel, I went to another startup called QNX Software in uh, in Canada outside of Ottawa. And, uh, you know, that was my first, first opportunity in a smaller organization around customer service, telemarketing and telesales. So I, I I got hired at QNX to work in the production area, which is, you know, folding boxes and making labels. And, and, and within short order, one of the uh, vice presidents, Mike Hornby, who is one of my mentors, gave me an opportunity to get on the phones and talk to customers. And it was like, it was like, you know, the lights went off. I was at home. I, you know, I, my, 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 my understanding of the back end infrastructure of what went into a box and what we shipped and how we shipped really provided me a viewpoint on the customer service calls that we were getting to really learn from the ground up. 
And it, you know, it took about two years in kind of telesales and inside sales. I, I spent, you know, two, three, four years kind of just cutting my teeth, made lots of mistakes. You know, it was, it yeah. was in, it was in an early industry where there was no such thing as anyone mature because everybody was in their twenties and thirties. And, you know, there were, there were sales leaders, but they were coming out of the, you know, the mm-hmm. hardware environments and mainframe and the tech sector didn't exist. So, I, you know, I, I spent almost eight years at QNX and, uh, you know, ended up, you know, traveling around the U.S. and going all over. And, you know, through my late 20s, I really developed kind of the rudimentary selling capabilities there. And, you know, there was there was no doubt once I once I got my first commission check, it was over. Yeah, you know, I, I, I understood the concept of what that meant. And, uh, you know, from there, I spent a long time, um, you know, forging my way in a uh, in an industry that was growing throughout so i spent you know seven eight years at, at qnx I, I had the good fortune of doing a startup at, at Fastlane technologies which eventually sold to uh, to a, another provider spent some time with netmanage which was early web technologies and you know, i would say my career really really kicked into gear in 2005 when i joined adobe and uh, and you know Entered into what I would call a, a, a you know one of the one of the coolest companies, cool technologies in the world, doing cutting edge user experience and creativity, and and you know Adobe really offered me an opportunity to develop my leadership skills and and you know really grow with an organization that was you know we were seeing 40, 30, 40, 50 percent growth within my territory year over year consistently for almost ten years. It was it was That's a really incredible. exciting time. Yeah. No, that's that that's that's crazy. So after after Adobe, um, where where did you go after that? Because that's where you, I guess, first were in like a like a sales leadership management position. Um, I I did sales, so I did management at a company called NetManage um, in two thousand to two thousand four. Okay. That was my first that was my first real leadership role. So I spent almost four and a half years doing both a direct sales leadership position as well as running North American systems integrators for NetManage. So we were a, a, a legacy mainframe technology with a emerging opportunity around helping these kind of legacy iron companies get to the web. The product was called OnWeb. So that was my first opportunity at it. You know, I, I really honed the skill at Adobe over 10 years. And in, in, uh, in 2015, you know, at the top of my game, we just closed one of the biggest deals in, in you know, Canadian, you know, the Canadian ecosystem. I was leading in terms of regional performance at Adobe. There was a lot of great things going on. And I, I just, I felt like, you know, I had been there over 10 years. Yeah. I wanted yeah. to try something new. So I left Adobe and started my own consulting, um, consulting organization. And really, I, I spent the next couple of years working within you know, different startups trying to raise money. I tried my own startup for a while. Frankly, I failed miserably at a bunch <laughs> of efforts and did okay at some other. And, you know, I, I, I didn't make any money through those couple of years, but I really enjoyed, it was a significant learning experience for me. It, uh, it you know, it gave me an opportunity to lead a company uh, at Oproma, you know, which was, a, which was a great experience. It gave me an opportunity to do financial raises and deal with some different entities. I did a, a, a you know, a trade mission over to Ukraine. I did a trade mission into uh, the EU and NATO and attended some shows there. A ton of really interesting people. 
um, you know, after four years of doing that and living without, uh, you know, benefits and, yeah. you know, just kind of chugging my way, I, I decided to come back into the, uh, come back into the, into the leadership arena, moved from Ottawa to Toronto a year ago to, uh, to kind of reset my, uh, reset my opportunities and see what could happen here. And that's what led me to the RSA opportunity. So that, that's a great story. And that's, like your your experience is just is is super super impressive. Um, out of you know you've made a lot of moves over your career. You've moved from you moved from all these different individual contributor roles to sales leadership to entrepreneur uh, back into to leadership. Um, if you were going to say like your your lessons learned, like just to put it in perspective for people that are more junior in their career, uh, to get to where you are today. What what lessons would you tell your twenty year old self are like the most integral to to get to where you are? I guess as efficiently or as effectively or as quick, or is it even beneficial to get there quick? Maybe it take maybe it's good to you know take the the route you took, uh, try some things, fail, learn all these different things that sort of make you who you are. So I'd love to sort of get your input on that. Sure, there's uh, you know in 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 answering that question. We have to kind of step back, and so you know, when I when I engage and and I you know I I mentor a lot of junior salespeople, um, inside salespeople, people that I've touched over my career. We still talk regularly. As while we were talking, I had a text from one of the telemarketers that I know that worked with me for me in a in a past. Yeah. And the the there, there's no easy answer to that question. There's there's no you know you can't um, you can't look at sales as um, you can't, there's no quick, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that there's no quick way yeah. to become highly skilled at this. Experience and time um, are really the things that matter. And, and, you know, it takes time to develop relationships. It yeah. takes experience to be able to, um, you know, be ninja-like in the sales arena. So if I were to answer the question, what would I tell myself? You know, the reality is just keep taking every opportunity you have yeah. and make the most of it. And I guarantee you, you're going to fail at a bunch of things. And I guarantee you, you're going to succeed at some stuff. And you use those and, and don't look at any individual. You know, selling is really hard. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. And, and selling in this day and age is even harder because it's harder and harder to separate yourself. You know, walk onto any trade show floor and you'll see a hundred vendors and they all look and feel the same because there's very little differentiator. 20 years ago, there was a ton of market differentiators. It's really hard right now. So the differentiator is people. Yeah. And the differentiator of people is your own personal reputation and style. I don't think there's an easy path to get to become an enterprise sales person. It's, it's no different than a path to become a judge or a highly skilled heart surgeon. You know, the reality is- Except there's no be, school for it anymore. There's no school. There's school for all those things. There's no, there's no school for sales. I guess there's some programs now, but there really isn't that many in comparison. No, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's really not, but um, you know, there is the school of hard knocks, which is the one, <laughs> you know, when I, when I look at the most successful salespeople, they all have a common, there's, there's a common element to all of them. Yeah. And, and that common element is their willingness to do just about any role as part of an engagement. And, you know, that common element is also their reputation. The best salespeople in the industry 
carry great reputations and people that tarnish the reputations young by acting inappropriately and, mm-hmm. and doing you know different things, it's going to carry with you and it's going to limit your ability later in life. You know, so the the to answer your question, number one is take every opportunity and learn from it. And, and number two, don't expect this to be a two or four year path. It's going to take five years for you to mature and go through the first set of gates. It's probably going to take another five years for you to pass through the second. After 10 years, now you become a highly skilled salesperson and, and get into a position. Now, there are the exceptions. Some people accelerate and move through this. But generally speaking, it's going to take time. So so my question to you is, as a sales leader, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have two questions. So I'm going to first start with, how do you find good people? And then the follow-up to that will be, how do you find good people that are ambitious enough to want to move up and to want to learn, but are patient enough to understand that it's still a, a waiting game to get those skill sets? You know, it's really a good question. I think the funny thing about finding good people is some of the best people in sales have come from the craziest of backgrounds. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell you a story about, you know, one of the best sales people that I know, or one of the best inside sales people that I know, actually served me at a bar in uh, in in a in a local restaurant that I went to frequently having pints after work. And, and you know, the, the thing that, you know, in getting to know this person, mm-hmm. you know, we have a ton of people that have university degrees or different types of degrees that end up working in the service industry along the way. And one of the things about that service industry is you get used to approaching people and communicating with people because you're constantly working for the tips. Yeah. And that fundamental skill is something that I've seen over and over again as the foundation to make great salespeople. So you find salespeople all over the place on LinkedIn. You can find them anywhere. But the places where I find them best are some of the most weirdest locations, retail outlets. When you go in and you talk to somebody, and you see someone with a really good skill. You know, in this day and age, we have to be ready as sales leaders to bring those people in at entry level, inside sales and other positions and turn them into the types that we want. The three most successful people that have worked for me that I know all come from that same type of background. Random. You know, one guy who was by far and away the most successful salesperson that's ever worked with me made seven figures multiple times comes from a furniture background. And, and those fundamental skills on the retail floor are what transitioned and allowed that person to grow into an enterprise class technology person. A lot of great stories in this industry like that. No, that's that's good. But and you bring these people on and they're not they're not in sales they're not in tech. So how do you how do you successfully transition them into a role so that they can be successful? Because, yes, they do have to you know, they do have to learn somewhere. But obviously, there's some portion of, of coaching or, or mentoring that plays a part, too, in their success. It's another good question. I, I you know, I may um, and, and I do this all the time with junior and inside. It's it's kind of a home. So let's sit down. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about what's happening. Let's talk about what's going to happen when you go out on your own. And then I put my hand on their back and push them out the door and say, come back in a couple of days and let's talk about what happens. So, you know, in a, in a, um, in a, in a perfect training environment, you kind of have three elements. There's corporate methodology because you need to have, you know, corporate training to understand the company and how the company. So that's one element. 
The second element is the mentorship and, and leadership of a sales leader or someone that you can attach someone to that can provide that. And then the third element is just go try. And, and the, the go try part is the biggest part of it. So what we need to do, um, you know, there's a there's a game called rebound. It's a, I don't know, you know, it, it, it's still out in the market. It's little marbles and, you're, and they bounce up. <laughs> yes. Like shuffleboard. Yeah. I always say to junior salespeople, my job is to provide you the boundaries so you can bounce back and forth so you don't hurt yourself. But the best person to help you is yourself. Take this methodology, which is the corporate side, learn from it. Take what I provide you and learn from it and then go out and learn and practice and skill and, and see how that develops and then do it again. It's like a constant cycle. Do you find do you find that sales reps um, or do- it could be coming from the, the coming from sales and coming from tech or people that are coming from the outside. Do you find that they try and default onto you as like a, a, a resource that they should be using a little bit less, but they try and use more uh, than they should be? Sort of like they're just like always coming back, always asking questions, uh, scared to go out on their own when you when you try that. Uh, I think you know part part of part of what we need to do as sales leaders is be prepared to make tough decisions about personalities right mm-hmm. i've met a lot of great people that are in the wrong positions and, and that's not a statement on you know a, a, someone's value it's a statement on the fact that, that we put you in the wrong position so let's find a good spot so you know there's no bad questions and there's there's no bad engagement with a sales leader unless it happens 100 times if it's constant and consistent so what what i look for is you know, incremental development because it takes time. You know, if you ask me the same question three or four times, I'm okay with that because I want you to be really good at that. And and part of my job is to, when you ask me a question three times, I'm going to apply that to you and see if you're learning over time. If you ask me the same question eight or nine times, maybe that's, you know, maybe that's an indicator that we should yeah. look at elements. So it's the balance between the two. There's no right and wrong answer there because sometimes you have to be patient, that little extra bit with certain people. Others go fast. Others go slow. You kind of have to just watch and see because not everybody matures at the same pace. And, you know, I've seen some really great salespeople mature just beyond the point where people were ready to move them into some other role and they just needed that extra little. So being you know, the difference between being a good sales leader and a great sales leader is figuring out when you put too much in and you make need to make a move versus when you're right close to having someone be the person that you've been training them for. And, and how do you how do you see that? Like, how do you see if somebody is because um, obviously you want to try and push those people into the right position when you're hiring and onboarding them because you don't it's expensive to to let them flounder in a role for a, like a significant period of time. So what, what are the person, well, I guess you kind of mentioned the personality traits, but what, what other, what other items would you look for outside of just uh, almost like, um, like a, I'm blanking on the word, uh, um, just like a, a very charismatic individual who is okay at approaching people. What other traits would you look for in somebody when you are bringing them on? Uh, that would support their their success outside of just just their personality. Well, I think you know um, you know personality is is top of mind, but I think certainly kind of appearance. So the the second thing you want to look for is is you know how does somebody appear? You know they present themselves. Yeah. You know, and and some sometimes simple things. You know, personal hygiene. Yeah. You know. 
how does somebody carry themselves in the con are their hands clean like yeah. simple things that that you can pay attention to over time and and you know are they dressed well nice you know different things like that and that's not always a perfect indicator, but certainly. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. 
Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much indeed for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. You know, personality is number one. You know, appearance is number two because the, the other you know, you can you can train somebody and teach somebody on technology. You can teach them methodology, but you can't teach them, you know, personality and you yeah. can't teach them hygiene and personal presentation personal and just professional professional appearance and whatnot. Exactly. So so that's great. So let's talk more. Um, so we we sort of spoken on uh, on hiring and what to look for outside of the this traditional norm. We've spoken about like uh, like coaching and accountability. Um, for for an individual to be effective, obviously it depends on the market. Uh, but for sales strategy, how do, how do you, what type of sales strategy does RFA or do you uh, subscribe to when actually interacting and, and dealing with customers? Is there a certain one that like is like a, is a sandler or is a challenge or is it just like that we focus on solving solutions and and identifying pain points and it's more like a high level? Like what is what is your your thought on that? Well, I think you know it. Um... 
every organization will have a variation of its own sales methodology. So we here at RSA use force management. You know, in, in previous lives, we've used Sandler, Bosworth. You know, at, at the end of the day, as a sales leader, over the course of your career, you're going to get exposed to different methodologies. So, you know, I think out of that methodology, um, you know, great, great sales leaders incorporate multiple elements as part of a regional development strategy. So one of the things that always frustrated me throughout my career is that we take salespeople, drop them into a territory, and then a year later wonder why they haven't been successful. Because if you're in sales, you should just go sell, right? (laughs) The reality is, you know, organizations need to take a significant level of accountability. And I, I, I talk to my sales team about this and I talk to my sales leaders. I believe the corporation generally should provide you 50% of the in-region kind of support. And when I say, you know, when I use that number, you know, so as a sales leader, I, I look to bring in partners, bring in channel, bring in my field marketing, bring in my own network and Rolodex and others into a region, into a territory to help my rep create demand. It's my job to help that early funnel and develop that early funnel with a sales rep in every region that I manage. And I think if I am accountable for half, well, guess who's accountable for the other half? Yeah. And I think, you know, given the amount of investment that we make in selecting somebody and training them, we spend a year, year and a half, you know, it behooves us as an organization to invest intelligently in the development of the territory in support of the goals of the territory. So I I apply a really somewhat unique model in the sense that I actually carve the, 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 the business plan, for lack of a better description, into two elements. Here's what I'm going to do in your territory. Here are the things that we as a company are going to provide to you. Field marketing, channel development, mm-hmm. different resources, events, workshops, business development. There's our half. Now let's look at the work that you're doing to accelerate what we're providing and create the other half of your pipeline. And I think that's something that you know a lot of sales leaders don't really, because it means I'm accountable to my team. Yeah across the board in individual elements. And I think, you know, that's one of the areas that I think every company can improve on is really understand, like we owe our teams and our individuals effort. We owe them investment. We're accountable to assist, you know, so I'm responsible for vision. I'm responsible for strategy. I'm responsible for resourcing and a bunch of other elements to help you so now that you got all these tools, how are you going to then take these tools and give me the other half? It, it almost it almost helps um, make the accountability place on the on the rep a little bit more easy to swallow because now they know that you're coming to bat for them. And I think it's I think that's a really good point that a lot of um, a lot of organizations don't do this well uh, because how many times and it's it's ridiculous because they invest thousands hundreds of thousands in training development then it's like sink or swim by here's the phone book go sell which doesn't really make any sense because i've already invested thousands of dollars in you as a as a rep so why wouldn't i support you to the best of my ability that's a that's a really it's a really strong point and i think that more organizations that's probably why as a as a sales leader as an organization you're you are successful because you don't have that uh you know just sink or swim mentality you kind of you really do support um no that that's just to add to that, in, you know, one of the things that anyone in sales, when you're going through the interview process, 
very often we don't spend enough time asking questions about the company's thought process around in-region development. How much field marketing has been applied into the region over the last year? How many workshops have the company done? How many executives have visited into the territory? How many customers are there? There's a whole series of really great questions that should be asked in an interview process of salespeople to really understand what you're getting into. It doesn't mean you don't take the job if those things aren't there. Mm -hmm. What it does mean is that you really understand the situation you're entering into and it allows you to then go back and go, okay, so we talked about this in the interview. You said, you know, there was no field marketing for the last year. How are we going to increase that? Because that's 15% of my business development number. What about this? What about that? And I think, you know, some advice that I can give to anyone, whether you're a sales leader or someone that's going through an interview process, it doesn't really matter. That's a really healthy conversation to have. What are we doing within these eight regions, these 10 regions? Let's pair each one off and look at Ottawa. What's going on in Ottawa? When Mm -hmm. was the last time an executive was there? What relationships do we have? There's a lot of really great questions that are really simple. And very often we're afraid to ask them because people, because if I ask, yeah. I, I might be accountable for something afterwards. But, it, you know, it's a good point because maybe maybe you don't want to be with an organization that doesn't hold their leadership accountable to providing for the sales rep. So maybe that's a great indication of a, a good and strong organization versus somebody who you don't want to work with. So it, it's, it's, you know, when in, uh, in the interview process with RSA, um, with, with my current, current leadership, you know, one of the things that we, we had a conversation about, so what would this look like? And I drew out my strategy and said, this is what's going to happen. These are all the pieces. This is how it would flow. This is what it would look like. Are you okay with that? Do you see this? Does it make sense to you? You know, do you buy into this? Because that's what I'm going to employ if I'm a successful candidate. And I want to make sure that we understand and agree with each other that this is what we want because we want this, this, and this. And and if if you can have that conversation in the interview process and look someone in the eye, you're going to know really quickly whether or not it's the right type of place because you're going to get a reaction of, that's awesome, tell me more about all these things. Or you're going to get the glassy-eyed kind of empty space look and, and literally, that's an indicator that maybe what you're being offered is not really kind of the right type of place for you. And I think it's really important that we ask these questions on both sides so we understand what we're doing. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's very good. Because if you have somebody who's not bought into your vision and then, you know, six months down the road when when you're when you're rolling this out and you're implementing it, it's like you're a leader. So you're you're doing your thing, you're you're executing, and then they don't understand why the results aren't coming or they don't understand what you're doing or they're they're you know, they're cutting you off at the knees. That's uh listen, it's, it's not helping anybody. So my my uh you know, to that point, my one you know, I've had many bad experiences selling throughout my career, as any good salesperson or sales leader will tell you. The one organization that I regret joining, that situation was exactly how it worked. We presented, here's the plan, here's what we're going to do. We all agree. We laid an agreement out on a six-month period and a month in. They're like, yeah, yeah, no, we were just kidding. We're not going to do all that. We're going to do all this. And it's way over to the left. And that relationship broke up really quickly. Yeah. And you know, that that's a, you know. The reality is what you just described happens all the time. It does happen. And it's unfortunate because I think that people hire um, you know, the average tenure of a, of a sales leader, a VP sales is like 18 months or something like that. It's like, and it's getting even shorter and it's because you can't, you can't even miss one year. So is that because 
is that because VPs all over the place are bad at their job, or is it because that they're they're not setting the right expectations? And I I think it's probably probably a little bit of you know there are some bad VPs out there, but that's not uh, the majority. I think it's a you know it's a really great um, segue. You know the reality is that's a combination of the the sales leader not properly articulating kind of the plan, and it's a it's a you know a symptom of short-sighted companies who don't really appreciate the impact of that and it you know it spins out of control and you know, yeah. I have tons of friends that come and one of the things that I say to people all the time is are you sure you want to go into sales management are you sure <laughs> yeah we're going to make less money take all the knocks be accountable yeah. like there's a whole bunch of things that happened and you know some people do it anyway yeah like no me. it's uh, it's <laughs> no it's definitely less less stress and I think that you know you always want more right you're you're an ISR you're an inside rep you want to move to an account executive you want to move to a manager director VP but it doesn't uh, it doesn't get easy and it, like once you're once you're a VP level I think you realize that um being a being an individual contributor is sometimes a lot less headache and and not not much less money if if anything maybe sometimes a bit more it depends on who you sell for um yeah. but uh okay so um that was really good and I, that was a that was a really good talk uh, I guess um you've been in the industry for a long time uh in sales so your input on this would be would be really great what are some of the worst sales habits that you've seen? It could be for individual contributors or, and you know, we've again, touched on some uh, here and there, but like the things that you wish would just stop and people would stop doing and, and other managers and leaders would stop training um, just because they're so ineffective or ludicrous or outdated. You, you know, it's funny uh, in, in the last couple of years, I've seen this over and over again and it, it constantly shocks me, you know, I can't tell you the amount of people that I've seen that go into sales calls without notepads or pens and don't have the courtesy, even if you don't take notes, to open up the book and lay the pen down. There's a there's a um, you know, there's an opportunity for a, you know, sales 101 professionalism course around how to act inside of a meeting. And I think, you know, millennials are, are worse you know, because they pick yeah. these devices up and go into texting in the middle of, and, you know, these things need to be shut off and face down. And when you have the courtesy of getting an opportunity to communicate with someone who is a decision maker, and it's happened to me where people are selling to me, where they're texting or doing stuff, you're done. Literally, yeah. you're done with it because it, you know, so I wish people would take the time to really think about an engagement that drives me nuts. It's the second. You know, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. No, go ahead. You know, the, no, the I was going to say just that it's a it's a poor habit of of the same type of individual that also wants to jump from job to job to job. It's like that, like that, uh, that need for immediate gratification that that thing is is plaguing uh, this generation, uh, younger generation. So I think it it's not only in, in their progression through their career and their lack of ability to stay in one job more than six months. It's also with their interactions with people in real life, lack of patience, lack of just slowing things down which uh, hurts but yeah yeah no totally and, and uh, you know to add to that i think the you know preparation is is a lost art you know we we you know we we apply some level of thought process but you know generally speaking i think we don't really prepare well mm -hmm. for sales calls and and then more importantly we don't prepare well for follow-up and outcomes. And I think, you know, in addition to 
professional selling 101, which is how do I look and act in a meeting? You know, there's more work to be done on preparation and, and preparation is some really simple things. You know, I, you know, and, and I did this with you. I went into your LinkedIn. I looked yeah. at kind of down your bio to get some background. So if we had conversations, they would be relevant. There's a bunch of really simple one-on-one type things that you can do that make you more knowledgeable going into a meeting. Then there's there's more complex things like reading CEO targets and, and you know, the material in, in media and press. You can find out a lot about what's going on inside of an organization without touching anything. Just go on to the media and the press. And if you really want to impress me, you know, take a take a client that you're selling to and go look at their competitors yeah. and look at what the competitors are doing, because that makes you even more knowledgeable on how they're being positioned against themselves. So I think preparation is something that, you know, we all need to do a better job of. And I, and I think cor- corporations, companies, you know, we're guilty of it to an extent. We talk about preparation. We talk about readiness. We talk about all these things. And then, boom, when the sales cycle hits, everybody runs and let's go close a deal, right? Yeah, and nobody actually does the work ahead of time. Um, exactly. You had a second point, too, to the, the worst uh, sales practices. Um, yeah, I, I kind of, I kind of tied the two together, oh, okay, okay. the preparation, the no notepad and, you know, but organizationally, I think the, the, the thing that the industry really needs to stop doing is, you know, we, as an industry, we oversell and under deliver. And I think, you know, when you look at the statistics on failed projects within technology, they're staggering. You know, look at Canada's federal government, their statistics. You look at statistics for, you know, if you really dig into, you know, insurance and banking and financial and retail, the statistics are terrible. And and that that's a symptom of organizations not staying with their clients to ensure that they achieve the value of what was promised. And I think as an industry, if we're going to, you know, do one thing better, we need to mature our ability to help customers realize the value of what we provide, what we sell. And I think, you know, customers, so I think clients should demand more. And it's, it's, it's you know, it's always surprising to me that not as many customers as you think demand, you know, value realization or ROI documentation. In, you know, in my 30 years, you know, RSA does it well. I think there's some other companies that are that have done it well, but fundamentally, overselling, underdelivering is like the the technology industry's flu. Everybody's got it. Everyone suffers from it from one quarter to the next. And you can take a bit of medicine for it, but we go right back to our previous behavior. We're not helping ourselves in the industry. Do you think that's regional uh, to Canada, North America? I, I think it's. I think it's generally organizationally across the board okay. and i think it gets you know just there, there are companies yeah. there are companies in our industry that are worse than others but i i fundamentally would tell you that i don't you know i don't know or I, i'd be hard pressed to say to you here's an example of an organization that was consistently and constantly delivering high value realization material to customers to understand the value of what was sold in the first place. Mm-hmm. So if you if you want to differentiate yourself as a sales rep, and if you want to make really big money in this industry, which you can, 
being able to deliver that to your customers, it will set you apart from any other organization, any other sales rep. So if you want to learn a skill, that's one that I think most people don't have enough of. And you could even, you know, speaking to the accountability piece you spoke about before, hold your hold your organization accountable to helping you deliver those and measuring exactly. and tracking those that that ROI realization after the project's done. So you're not just walking away. Your organization is not just walking away. Um, that's really good. Uh, so that's that's really all I I really wanted to cover. I think that we you know we covered a lot and it was really really it was really great talking. So thank you. Is there anything that I didn't mention that um, that you'd want to bring up about? sales, uh, any, anything in particular? You know, I, 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 I'll just close with this. Okay. You know, it, 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 um, sales in the tech industry sales in this field is significantly different than car sales, real estate sales, insurance sales. You know, this industry is unique. It offers an opportunity to, you know, make, you know, the kind of money that very few in the world have the ability to make. And I think, you know, it, it, it is a incredible environment to work in and learn in. And I wish more people would take the time to let their careers develop into this industry. And, and I think, you know, there's, there's, there's an enormous opportunity right now for the next generation of young salespeople to really be highly impactful. There's so much cool stuff going on. And I just hope everyone is patient enough to kind of allow time to develop. And, you know, in, in, in my opinion, my recommendation, if you can stay with your first company for five years, it allows you two or three full sales cycles so that you can actually cut your teeth in an environment before you go out and do selling. It, it would be a piece of advice that I would recommend to any junior inside sales or other. Let yourself get through a couple of full-on sales cycles within your first environment because mm -hmm. that's going to set you up for success later. That's great. Um, okay, so just to close this off, uh, you know, you've you've obviously had a great career. Uh, other other people in in your life and your career mentors that you would think people should follow or engage with, like where do you get your learnings from? It doesn't have to be anybody flashy. It could be an industry expert. It could be it could be somebody who has been an author or anything like that. You know, I follow everybody and and everyone and anyone. I I read the you know I, I stay current on the news. There's not one. Um, there's not one person that I point to that I would say this person stands out um, and not because there's not people that don't stand out in my life because there's lots of them. Right. Uh, I think the reality is you have to just connect everywhere. Use all the social medias, Twitter, LinkedIn, like all those communities and connect with as many people as you can. You know, you you cold called me on LinkedIn. I was yep. like, yeah, let's talk because what you're doing is really cool. And, you know, that's I, I just. I, I believe take one minute to communicate and read and look and, and you'll never know what you're going to find. No, I, I don't have any one specific person that I follow. I, I follow like 10,000 people. <laughs> do you have, do you have any um, like books or resources that you, you go to? Um, you know, I've read all the books, you know, seven habits of good sellers, you know, the art of war Sun Tzu. I, <laughs> I read, I read as much as I can. And I, and I, you know, there are, uh, you know, there are a few places, you know, I, I recommend you follow, find and follow sales VP. So 
Chris Rinaldi, my boss here at RSA, is a great person to follow on LinkedIn because he's he's putting a lot of content out. He's you know he's been in the industry a while. He's you know younger than I am, so he's got a, a viewpoint that's you know different than I am. And 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 I think he's you know a good example of it. There's others like that. I think identify companies that are doing cool things. Yeah. You know the, the heads of Adobe Sales are really cool to follow, and a few others because they're constantly posting and putting new stuff out there. I, I think you just got to be you just got to be putting yourself out there. And, and you know, I remembered what the uh, what the second point was that I forgot to mention was lack of curiosity. Ah, think, OK, so there that lends cadence to that then. Yeah, you know, we we as people are not curious enough, ask questions, get out, go to an event and try and meet 100 people within 15 minutes. Because yep. that means you're working and, you know, it's all good. No, Sean, that was great. Thank you. So that's all I have. Uh, just to wrap it up, thanks again, Sean, for taking a second to sit down and talk. Um, very impressive, your background. And I really do hope the people that were listening uh, had a pen and paper down and were taking some notes because uh, 30 years of sales experience shows and the insights uh, were incredible. If anybody who is listening would like to meet or engage or interact with Sean in any way, uh, he is on LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash in slash Sean dash Cruz. Five one nine nine eight zero three slash. This is how I reach out to Sean um, to originally schedule him for the interview. So obviously he's open to connect. Um, so reach out to him there. Um, but outside of that, uh, thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, check the show notes for everything we spoke about here and more. And I look forward to speaking to you next time. Cheers. Bye. So this is my favorite part of the podcast, Scott's Thoughts, where I talk about some of the points that Sean discussed and really just provide some context and let you know why these are so important in your role, in your business. Um, so Sean brought up a couple, a ton of great stuff, um, and it's really hard to uh, sort of whittle it down to the key takeaways. Um, but one thing that I really, really wanted to drive home for people that are listening uh, that are maybe uh, a little bit more junior in their career, and some of these obviously do apply to sales leaders as well. One thing that I thought was really great was that the onus of 50% of sales support that the organization uh, brings to the table, oh, excuse me, rather, the organization, there's an onus on them to bring uh, up to 50% of the sales support in a territory. Uh, this onus is on the organization. Uh, so there, the, you know, when Sean, uh, when Sean is running an organization, He's bringing marketing. He's uh, making sure there's executive visits in the territory. He's making sure there's trade shows, uh, vendor partners, lead generation, all these things that can support sales efforts and build out that initial funnel. Um, Sean is making sure that the organization is pulling its weight because obviously when you hire and you train and you onboard somebody, it's very expensive to bring them into the fold and then just let them go on their own uh, and have a sink or swim mentality. So one thing that I really liked that he that he brought up was the fact that uh, he makes it a point to bring a lot of resources to the table to support sales. And that's something that uh, companies should hold a standard to. And also, he mentioned that uh, if you are interviewing for a job, this is something that you should discuss with the person who's hiring you, uh, just because it's so relevant to your own success as, as an individual contributor. Um, he also brought he, he brought great points for uh, hiring and training and what his process was. So he broke it down into three specific points as to how an individual should be trained properly for success. So the first was obviously the corporate training. 
you know, you dot, dotting your I's and crossing your T's. Then there was the coaching and the mentoring, which the sales leader brings to the table uh, through their own experience. And lastly, it's pushing them out the door and letting them go do it. And it's okay if they fail, they have to learn somehow, but it's really getting them to go do it um, once they have, of course, all the resources and the training and the preparation. Uh, so that was really great. He also mentioned uh, that it's okay to ask questions, um, but you want to make sure that uh, you aren't asking the same question again and again and again once it's been clearly delivered to you if you are the right person for the job. Uh, so he wants you to learn on your own, ask questions when you can't come to the conclusion on your own, uh, but at least show an improvement. Uh, baby steps, marginal improvement is really good uh, as long as it's moving in the right direction. Another thing uh, Sean brought up for, for managers that are looking to hire, you don't always have to hire within uh, the context of the sales environment or the sales arena. Uh, what Sean had highlighted was some of the best people that had worked for him came from non-sales, uh, non-traditional sales roles, uh, especially non-technical roles. And he learned to identify proper personality types that could make connections, could establish meaningful relations with people, um, even if they weren't slotted into a sales role. One example he brought up was somebody who was a really outgoing and personable uh, uh, waiter or waitress, um, and they were able to successfully transition into a sales role, and they were one of the most successful just because of the personality skills that they've built. So again, it's, it's bringing it back to being able to establish that level of trust. And how else do you do that? Well, by being a very authentic and real and engaging human being. And those people uh, can learn the technology, they can learn the process on how to sell, uh, but the, the, the actual personality is the hardest part to actually uh, train someone. So that's why he's been so successful finding it elsewhere and then teaching the parts that we're, that he's very capable of teaching um, as, as sort of add-ons and, and other things that will help them be successful, but the personality is the core. Um, he also, uh, last but certainly not least, highlighted uh, some of the major issues he sees with sales reps today. And if you are an individual contributor or if you're managing a team, these are good things to pay attention to. Uh, so always be more curious. Um, just just look more. Do more research. Uh, you want to, if you're having an interview or if you're getting uh, in front of a stakeholder or a decision maker, you want to be able to be prepared. So go do your research, understand what their organization does, what their role does, what they do, go to LinkedIn. There's so many places where you can go for information. Um, it's it, it's not, in 2019, you're at a serious disadvantage if you haven't done your proper research ahead of engaging with somebody who you're going to have a conversation with. Uh, be professional and present well. Uh, so these are like the bare minimums. And it's unfortunately something that he he has to point out and it's too bad because it really shouldn't be something that you have to point out these should be things that are are almost like the status quo um but they're not so be professional and present well it goes a long way uh and also outside of doing your research uh in a sales context uh uh being prepared uh and being professional when you're in the actual engagement and you're trying to sell something uh yourself or a product uh you want to you want to be there. You want to be present. You want to take notes. You want to, you have this golden opportunity presented to yourself. And a lot of people squander these opportunities by playing around on their cell phone or texting or just being distracted, uh, whereas they should be completely 100% focused on the person they're speaking to. Um, and, and that's going to really drive their success. And obviously, 
make the person who they're engaged with feel like they actually care and they actually want to be there and they actually want to solve the problem and they're not confused or 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 uh, distracted by their phone or their their friend that's texting or an email that just came in those things can all be handled later um when you're in the moment be in the moment so uh those are those are great takeaways for both sales leaders and uh individual contributors sales reps um as always i really do hope that you enjoyed this podcast uh, sean brought a ton to the table way more than i can just uh quickly review now there's so many points so go back and listen again with a with a with a notepad with a pen and paper if you if you haven't already um i really really am glad i had the chance to speak to him uh and always leave some feedback leave some comments let me know what you liked what you didn't like and uh, if you have any other suggestions for people that I should bring on the show or other topics that you'd like to hear about, please leave a, a comment in the description below and I'll be sure to feature those, those people or those uh, topics on future episodes. Uh, if you haven't already, hit like. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, hit subscribe or you can always get this podcast wherever you can download podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google, um, any, any podcast outlet where you download podcasts. I'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe um, and always share with your friends, share with your colleagues. It would mean so much to me. Thanks so much. I really appreciate you tuning in to the Sales versus Marketing podcast. Have a great day. Have a great week ahead of you and talk soon. Bye now. Listening to the Sales versus Marketing podcast brought to you by ROI Overload. Delivering strategy, technology, and insights to both sales and marketing leaders and teams globally. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it each with its own cost and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary.
I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E.com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much indeed for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, 
the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 